About six months ago, I was cycling to work and considered how my life had been over the last 12 months. I had a beautiful family, kids who gave me almost no grief, a wife who loves me, a job I loved. Life was fast-paced, but, but it was good. And when I cycle, I often find myself um, saying sentences out loud that kind of punctuate my thought process. To an outsider and someone passing by, it probably looks a little odd, perhaps even bordering on a bit unhinged, but it's my natural way of processing uh, my thoughts. And as I was thinking about those 12 months, I thought about all the good things I had, and yet I found myself saying out loud, it hadn't been a great year. And I was surprised by this. I started to think about where I was spiritually. I did a lot here in the church. I'm a leader. I work with the young people. But in all this, I realized that there was a spiritual distance. You know, I started thinking about my walk with God and realized that over that 12-month period, there hadn't been much growth. There hadn't been many steps forward. I had a spiritual plateau, and actually, most concerningly, I felt very comfortable about being on that spiritual plateau. So I found myself asking God to grow me. I said, God, I'm here, I'm doing your work. Why do I feel like this? I did the right things. I picked up the Bible. I read God's words. I read passages that were familiar to me. I prayed. But I didn't really feel like I was getting an answer. A few weeks later, it was my birthday, and a brown Amazon package arrived from my eldest brother, Simon. And in that was a book about the Song of Songs. Song of Songs? You know, it's it's a book of the Bible that I'd spent almost no time in ever looking before. I don't think I'd ever heard a sermon preached on it. And though I didn't actually put too much thought to it, if I was totally honest, I regarded it as a kind of a, a less important book of the Bible. One that's there, perhaps. Useful for some circumstances, like marriage. But generally not for me. How totally wrong I was. As I went through that book, I was totally blown away by a dimension in my relationship with Jesus that I'd never spent much time considering before. You see, I knew God as my Father. I knew Jesus as my Savior and as leader of all parts of my life. But I'd never considered God as the lover of my soul and what this really means. And this is what I'm hoping to spend a few minutes on today. The Song of Songs. It's a small book in the Bible. It sits between Ecclesiastes and Isaiah. Blink and you'll miss. It's 117 verses. It's a poem that shows a conversation between a poor shepherdess and a prince with the beloved part being the poor shepherdess and the prince being a lover. So what on earth 
is a love poem between a prince and a shepherdess doing in the Old Testament. And what on earth can it teach us? Well, this book, this poem, this song is packed full of images that are what we call allegorical. What does that mean? Allegory is this. It's a message that contains a hidden meaning and is a symbol of something else. It's a message that contains a hidden meaning and is a symbol of something else. You know, if we take the parables of Jesus and and the stories he told, then many of them are allegorical. Let's take the story of the lost son. It's a story that Jesus told about a father being separated from his son and the joy when that son returns. It's an allegorical message about God, the father's joy, when we, his lost children, come back to him. Hopefully that gives you some kind of understanding of what allegory means. Allegory. It's important to say that allegory can also be a little bit dangerous because it does require interpretation. It's very easy to take uh, an image in the Bible and interpret into something else or distort its message. And all the allegories that I pull out today in the Song of Songs are backed up by other writers. So people who have gone before, like Watchman Nee and Hudson Taylor, These were missionaries who were absolutely fundamental to the gospel reaching China. Anyway, back to the Song of Songs. In these 117 verses, there is so much imagery that I don't believe an entire year of sermons would do it justice. I see Song of Songs almost like a suitcase full to bursting. And in a one-off sermon and in 20 minutes... All I'm going to be doing is just undoing the lid and perhaps pulling out a, swimming trunk, a pair of swimming trunks. You know, this book has so much more to it than what I'm going to talk about. It's got something to tell us about marriage, about relationships, about the human heart. There's imagery here that is quite passionate, and you may or may not be pleased to know that I won't be dwelling on that too much today. However, it's there, and the Bible says that all Scripture is God-breathed, and it's there for us to use and to celebrate. So what I really want to do today is just focus on a dimension to my relationship that blew me away. Jesus is the lover of my soul. So let's have a look at this Song of Songs, chapter 2, that was read to us by Barry and Christine so beautifully. And again, there's so much imagery here that in 20 minutes I'm not going to be able to cover the entire chapter. I've picked out four things that I think express um, this dimension of Jesus as the lover of my soul. And hopefully it'll be a PowerPoint presentation. No, that's all right. See if it comes up. No, that's fine. I'll carry on. Okay, so five things I'm going to speak about. First of all, one, we are beautiful to God. Two, do we delight to be with him? Or sorry, we delight to be with him, or in brackets, do we? Number three, he comes in close, but does not enter unless invited. 
Number four, the winters and our love. Number five, intimacy. First one, we are beautiful to him. Let's have a look at verse, um, verse two in Song of Songs 2. Like a, like a lily among thorns is my darling among the young women. Remember I said that the Song of Songs is a, it's a conversation between the beloved, a poor shepherdess, and the lover, a prince. And the imagery here is of God as the prince talking with us as his beloved. And what does the lover, what does God say about us? He says, like a lily among thorns is my darling among the maidens. First of all, we need to understand the importance of the lily and the thorns in the Middle East, where this book was written. The lily wasn't just a plant you got from a garden centre that was placed on a windowsill and usually died, as it is in our house when people give Zoe lilies, usually at Christmas time. No, it's a rare, it's a beautiful plant that grows high, much higher than most other plants, actually, but it has a very weak stem. It was rare and beautiful, but needed to be cared for because it was weak. The thorns, on the other hand, in the Middle East, are like gorse thorns that we know here in the UK, except they're much, much, much bigger. They're enormous. They pierce anything that brushes against them, whether they be hands or feet, or as Zoe and I discovered um, a couple of holidays ago in Greece, even car tyres. So for the lover to turn to his beloved and say you are a lily amongst thorns, he's painting a picture here of something beautiful and rare that for him to get to, he's likely to get cut and hurt. He's likely to get cut and hurt. This is an allegorical image of how Jesus sees us. You know, we're rare, we're precious to Jesus. We are beautiful to Jesus and desired by him so much that he is willing to get cut and hurt to reach us. You know, I don't believe that there is a coincidence that we have the thorns being described here and we have Jesus wearing a crown of thorns on his way to Calvary. He didn't have to wear it. He didn't have to go through what he went through. He did it because he wanted to. Why? Because he desired us. He loved us. His rare and his precious flower. We're so beautiful to Jesus that he hung on a cross and died so that we wouldn't have to. You know, we're so beautiful to Jesus. And if we ever get into a trap to think that Jesus doesn't love us, or if we are just not good enough for him, or we've committed sins that he would never be able to forgive, we must come back to this image. We are a rare, we're a beautiful flower among the thorns. We are beautiful and precious to Jesus. And we know this because he died for us. Next part, we delight to be with him, or do we? Verse 3. 
I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. I delight to sit in his shade. This is what the beloved, the poor shepherdess is saying to the prince. I delight to sit in his shade. You know, what is our response to Jesus? Do we take time to sit in his shade? Do we enter into his rest? And actually, of all the points, I think this was the greatest challenge for me. And actually why I believed I found myself cycling along one day saying, this has not been a great year, has it? Back then I had to ask myself, do I delight to sit in his shade? In a life where I worked, where the work doesn't always happen between nine and five, where I've got family responsibilities, I've got church responsibilities, I have very little time to sit And if I did, in all honesty, I did not often sit in his shade, let alone come to a point where I delighted to sit in his shade. You know, I wonder if I'm the only one who has compromised in this area. On a daily basis, do we create space in our lives that are explicitly given for listening and spending time with Jesus? I often used to find myself praying and then suddenly getting interrupted by a beep from my phone or an email dropping in. Jesus wants us to rest, but not rest in a shade such as TV or fitness classes or a good book. There, are play that, there is a place for that, but he really wants us to rest in his shade from the heat of life. Be still and be with him. Do we do this? And we're just paying lip service to our quiet times. For me, this was critical. I had to stop compromising. And I believe that God has honoured and blessed those times. So how did I deal with it? Well, for me, it's come down to life choices, pure and simple. First of all, I needed to create a space for spending time with Jesus in my life. And these are a few practical things that really helped me sit in his presence. First of all, Christian music. I'm the ironer in the house. Every Sunday morning before church, the iron comes out and the ironing board. And uh, instead of putting the TV on whilst I iron, I now put on Christian music. And I had this wonderful experience last week where I had the Christian music playing and it was just lovely. And Noah was drawing at the dining room table. And he was singing along. So I had the Christian music playing. And not only was I resting in God's shade, so was Noah. Second of all, pray as we, as we walk. Keep praying to God. Be in that constant conversation. But also sometimes stop pray, Stop praying and listen. You know, the Holy Spirit may be saying something to you. Number three, something that I'm still working on. Prayer with your wife before you go to bed. Obviously, I don't have a husband, but wives, do you pray with your husbands if you have them? And above all, four, put the phones away while you're having your quiet time. I believe we need to come back to a point in our lives where we are still resting in his shade, 
And by resting in his shade, we begin to delight to be in his presence. He wants us to rest in his shade. Why? Because he loves us. Remember that we're this beautiful flower. Not this beautiful flower, his beautiful flower amongst the thorns. Resting in his shade. The next part, verse 9. He comes in close but does not enter. What does verse 9 say? Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. This is an amazing image of a lover waiting to be invited into the presence of his beloved. Jesus waits. He's gentle. He doesn't force his way into people's lives, but he loves us so much that he gives us that choice. First, he comes in close. He stands outside our lives and then waits for us to invite him in. Many of us here who have given our lives to Christ may have felt his closeness or perhaps a challenge that we've responded to. And sometimes that response has been to give our lives to him. Sometimes it's just to fall on our knees and pray for forgiveness. Sometimes it's just simply weep. Sometimes it's to be healed physically. Sometimes it's to be healed spiritually. This is a wonderful picture of lovers coming close, but Jesus, the lover, forces nothing. And I think the challenge here for us is, do we feel God's presence? Would you respond to his presence? Jesus doesn't, Jesus comes in close, but he won't force himself into your life. We need to respond. And the question is, is Jesus standing close to you now? You know, looking into your life, asking for access in areas of your your life that you might be struggling to hand over to him. Perhaps his gentle presence is calling you finally to come to him, to hand over control of your life. Allow him into the house of your soul. He stands, he looks in. But he won't enter unless you invite him to enter. After the service, we've got a prayer team who would love to pray with you if anything I've just said um, you want to talk about or share about. Next part. The winters and our love. I think this next verse is perhaps the most poignant about the moments when Jesus draws close to us. My lover spoke to me and said, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. See, the winter is past and the rains are over and gone. My beautiful one, come with me. The winter is past, the rains are over and gone. about the winters 
This July, I was at Isaac Povey's birthday party when my phone rang. It was my brother to tell me that my brother-in-law, Brian, was seriously ill. The following morning, my sister rang to tell me that her partner, her lover, her husband of over 25 years had died. My sister is only two years older than I am. Bri was just 50 years old. Within two, two hours, she had entered into a new season of her life, totally unexpectedly. And as a brother, as a family, I share her pain. I share her winter. It seems to me that from personal experience, that those who love almost always suffer a winter, either through bereavement or broken relationships. Sometimes these winters can feel so long, so deep. Sometimes they feel like they'll never end, and for some, tragically, they never do. The winter is this common image. It's used in lots and lots of literature for bereavement and broken and brokenness. And you know, if you look at something like uh, um, uh, C.S. Lewis uh, in Narnia and the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, remember it was winter. It was always winter and never Christmas. But I think this is an amazing image here, shown by Jesus Christ addressing the winters we face. The lover of our souls turns to his beloved and says, My beautiful one, come with me. The winter is past, the rains are over and gone. You know, I believe that there are many winters that are so long. They feel so cold. They leave us feel so broken that the only thing that can fix that and change that is Jesus Christ. If you feel that you're in a winter right now, please come forward for prayer after the service. You know, just like I feel the winter my sister um, faces through the loss of her beloved husband, we as a church are a family and we're affected by each other's winters. I passionately believe we need to be praying for each other, encouraging one another. And hope that we will hear Jesus' words. My beautiful one, come with me. The winter is past. I believe there are many winters that only he will break. Intimacy. So how to finish, how to draw all this together. Up until a few months ago, I understood the dimension that Jesus is king, who wants every part of my life, my saviour, the only way to God, my father. I'm a member of his family who protects me. But what I believe the Song of Songs shows so powerfully is Jesus as the lover of my soul. You know, Jesus is someone who sees us as beautiful, who is willing to fight through those thorns 
and the cuts to get to us. He comes in close and waits to be invited in. He can take away the hurt, the winters in our lives and give us a new season. And we, as his beloved, do we invite him in? And we delight him to sit in his shade. I go back to my original story where I was wondering about what was missing and what Song of Songs has shown me so clearly is that what was missing in my life was intimacy with the lover of my souls. You know, we in the West, I worry that we may have sullied the word intimacy. But the intimacy I refer to is a closeness and a relationship with Jesus that is like no other relationship. And to Christians, for those of us who have given our life to God, I ask the question, you know, does your relationship feel flat with Christ? Are you comfortable with that? If you're not, then perhaps what is missing is that intimacy with Christ that he so desires and is shown in such an amazing way in the Song of Songs. Work on that intimacy. You know, spend time with him. Spend time in prayer. Listen to Christian music. Pray with others. Put down anything that connects you to the modern world and dwell on Jesus as the lover of your soul. Read the Song of Songs although I'd encourage you to have a guide to unpack its message. To non-Christians, the most amazing thing is, is that Jesus sees you as beautiful, so, so beautiful that he died for you. He wants to draw close to you. He wants you to invite him into your life. And above all, I believe he wants to break the winters that you have. And finally, to finish up, I think there is this amazing message for us all. To us all who feel burnt out by the pressures of life. To those of us who have seen winters, we've suffered, who think ourselves average or below. Who've been let down by others. Who suffer from broken relationships. Who are bereaved. You know, Jesus stands close to us. He desires intimacy with us and to hear us declare with confidence that we are his and he is ours exclusively. But best of all, he'll never, ever leave us. How do we know? Verse 16 and 17. The beloved turned round and said, my lover is mine and I am his. He He browses amongst the lilies until the day breaks and the shadows flee. What an amazing lover of our souls we have. Amen. Shall I just pray and then we'll um, finish up with one song? Okay. Father God, I just thank you that you love us so much. You're willing to be, to, to hurt and to die for us. Thank you, Father, that you love us so much that you gave us a choice. You come in close, but you don't force your way in. Thank you, Father, that you love us so much that there are some winters in our lives that only you can break. Father God, you're the creator of the world, and yet you desire intimacy with us. Thank you, Father, that you will never, ever leave us. And Father, I just pray for us all today that you will shape us, that you'll mold us and take us, challenge us, grow us, 
And Lord, just help us to rest in your shade, in your name. Amen. Amen.